Bokotov, good morning. Welcome to our Aliyah day for Kol Hamoed, Pesach. This is the third day of Pesach. And we are exploring just the spiritual nature of this holiday, looking at, at some of the insights that we can glean for this important time together. As uh, This important, I should say, not just a time together, but a time for uh, to be in a, uh, an appointment with Hashem. And today we're going to be exploring some more about the Omer because prayerfully you have been remembering to count. Uh, today is the second day of the Omer, so we'll continue to count again tonight and then we'll count every night after that. And so you should set a reminder. There is an app for the phone. It puts out, it's actually a, an app um, that I believe Chabad created. It's actually a very good app. We use it every year. For the Omer count, it's um, it'll send you notifications for your area uh, at what time uh, you can um, you know possibly say the uh, the Omer or whatever, and it, can, it helps you to keep track and keep a log. So it's a good way to remember, or you know you can just wrap a piece of string around your finger or something like that to remember <laughs> to count the Omer. But it's a very important mitzvah, and we're going to be uh, as I said talking about it more today. Uh, today's reading for Kol Hamod Pesach uh, comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 13. So we're going to go ahead and read this reading, then we'll uh, share some insights here. If you have a Chumash, we are going to be on page 361. Again, chapter 13, verses 1 through 16 is the reading for uh, today, for Oi, for Yom. And here it is. It says, Adonai spoke to Moshe, saying, Sanctify to me every firstborn. The first issue of every womb among the children of Israel of man and beast is mine. Moshe said to the people, Remember this day on which you depart from Egypt, from the house of bondage. For with a strong hand Adonai removed you from here, and therefore hamets may not be eaten. Okay, so this just establishes just want to make mention because many people misunderstand um, uh, Judaism based on the strong man or straw, not strong man, straw man argument that has been put out for so many years that as Jews we believe that one has to work for their redemption or salvation or whatever. And uh, that's not the case. It says here explicitly in the Torah that Hashem removed us from Mitzrayim. He saved us. And remember also that salvation, uh, people equate salvation with one of two things or perhaps both. The forgiveness of sins and the ticket into heaven. Okay? Eternal life. Obviously, it incorporates forgiveness of sins and it obviously uh, includes uh, entrance into uh, heaven, so to speak, um, into the millennial reign, uh, into the presence of God after we die, eternal life with Hashem and so on. Of course, naturally. But salvation is so much more than that. Salvation is about covenant. It's about living in relationship with the living God. So when we say that God brought us out of Egypt by his, his strong arm, his mighty hand, what we're really saying is that he saved us, right? So we are saved, brought into covenant, redeemed, taken out of bondage, brought into his presence, etc. How? By him. That's how Judaism sees it. Even, for those of you who have celebrated with us, 
Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, you know that even when we get to that time of the year where we are pleading God for our forgiveness, we're asking God to, to you know, forgive us, wash us, purify us, cleanse us, then we, what do we do? Even when we sound the shofar, we don't say, hey, God, look at me. I've really worked hard this year. I've done a great job. Look at all the misses I did. I really didn't mess up too much. And so uh, you should just forgive me based on that. No. Does any Jew say that? No. We all say what? Traditional Jews say what? Look at the Akedah. Look at the Akedah. Now, they're referencing, of course, Isaac, who was uh, laid his life down willingly. Remember Isaac? Many of you know this already, I know, but some of your friends don't, so they may be watching. But Isaac was not a little bitty boy. He was a grown man. Some say about 37 years old. He willingly laid down. Of course, as those of us who realize that Yeshua is the, is the long-awaited Mashiach, we, of course, say, look at the Akedah. But in our case, we're saying we're looking at not the son who was uh, promised and offered, but the seed of promise who was offered, Mashiach Yeshua. So even at the time that we're asking God to forgive us of our sins, we, we, we don't even invoke our mitzvah-keeping, and this includes every single Jew. No matter how stringent they are, they, they, we all recognize that whatever we've tried to do, it's not enough. So in verse 4, Today you are leaving in the month of springtime, and it shall come to pass when Adonai shall bring you to the land of Canaan, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, which he swore to your forefathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall perform this service in this month. For a seven-day period you shall eat matzahs, and on the seventh day there shall be a festival to Adonai. That's the seventh-day festival. The seventh day there shall be a festival to Adonai. This is the Yom Tov that's coming up this coming week, right? <clears throat> the uh, sixth day of this week is a Yom Tov. And that's a back-to-back Yom Tov. So we have the Yom Tov on Friday and the Yom Tov on Shabbat. Um, yes, so it says here, Matzah shall be eaten throughout the seven-day period, and no hamets may be seen in your possessions, nor may any leaven be seen in your possessions <clears throat> in all your borders. And you shall tell your son on that day, saying, It is because of this that Hashem acted on my behalf when I left Mitzrayim. And it shall be for you a sign on your arm, a reminder between your eyes, so that Adonai's Torah may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, Adonai removed you from Mitzrayim. Isn't it interesting, by the way, we talk about, we're going to mention here, hopefully in another reading, we'll get to in a second with Cephas Emes, that the spirit and the law, I'm sorry, the spirit and the letter of the law work hand in hand. For many people... Theologically, those two concepts are, are diametrically opposed to each other, just like works versus faith in their minds are opposed to each other. Uh, opposed to each other, but nothing biblically, nothing can be further from the truth. You you have spirit and you have letter that work together. You have faith and works that, no pun intended, work together. And we have here from the mouth of God Himself, who says. That when we refrain from eating hamets, when we refrain from having hamets in our possession and our borders, right? This is, these are physical acts. 
We're, we're physically doing something. We're getting rid of the hamets. We're not eating it, etc. This will be a, you know, it says, it says, and you tell your sons on that day saying it's because of this that Adonai acted on my behalf when I left Egypt. And that shall be a sign on your arm and a reminder between your eyes. So th- this, this act of, of not having hummets in our home and not eating it acts as a spiritual sign. So it says, so that Adonai's Torah may, may be in your mouth. So wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is remember. This is God speaking. Okay. This is not. This is not the opinion of of some theologian. God is saying that when we do these physical acts, these physical deeds, of removing hamas from our homes and so on, when we prepare for Pesach, that when we do this, then the Torah, the Word of God, will be in our mouth. My friends, that is a that is an example of. The letter of the law and the spirit of the law working in concert. That's a letter of faith and works working in concert. Many people think, well, I'll have the Torah in my mouth, that is to say, in my heart, uh, but I don't have to do all the actual work. I don't have to actually remove chametz because if I just believe in God, it'd be fine. But that, the only problem with that is that's not what God said. God said, if you do these things, then the, the spirit will fall upon you. So, and you know, we can even go to the to the the, the book of Acts if we read those accounts of of um, of what uh, had happened and so on. We see that people went to the mikvah, and what happened when they went to the mikvah? That the ruach hakodesh fell upon them. But what what happens if they had not gone to the mikvah? What what would have happened at that point? If they had not acted upon their faith, then you'd have to presume that the ruach hakodesh would not have fallen on them. Why? Because they didn't they didn't act. So it says here, uh, verse 10, You shall observe this decree at its designated time from year to year. You shall observe this decree at its designated time from year to year. So God is saying here that you're going to do this. You're going to uh, keep this decree. Miyamim, yamia, yamima. From year to year, in other words, you're going to do it all the time, forever. So, this is important. And, and other places, such as in Leviticus chapter 23, it talks about the festivals as being eternal. No man, no one can come along, not even the Mashiach, not even the Mashiach can come along and change what God said. It doesn't matter how many letters you write. It doesn't matter how many people approve the letters that you wrote. It doesn't matter how many people think that your letters are great or or your words are great or how many books you write or whatever sermons you give. No one can change God's word. No one, no one, no one, especially the word of God can't change the word of God. Think about that for a second. Yeshua is the word of God made flesh, right? So how can the word of God change itself? Because by definition, the Word of God is God, so how can God change Himself? So it says in verse 11, It shall come to pass when Adonai will bring you to the land of the Canaan, as He swore to to you and your forefathers, and He will have given it to you. Then you shall set apart every first issue of the womb to Adonai, and of every first issue that is dropped by livestock that belong to you, the males are Adonai's. Every first issue donkey you shall redeem. 
with a lamb or with a kid. If you do not redeem it, you shall axe the back of its neck. That's axe as in uh, as in an actual axe, not ask a question. You shall axe the backs of a neck, and you shall redeem every human uh, firstborn among your sons. And it shall be when your sons will ask you at some future time, what is this? You shall say to him with a strong hand, Adonai removed us from Egypt, from the house of bondage. And it happened when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to send us out that Adonai killed the firstborn of the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of man to the firstborn of beast. Therefore I offered Adonai all the male first issue of the womb, as I shall re- and I shall redeem all the firstborn of my sons. And it shall be a sign upon your arm and an ornament between your eyes. For with a strong hand Adonai removed us from Egypt. It just concludes this chapter by saying or that, that uh, parasha, actually, by saying and reminding everybody that it, God removed us from Egypt. Obviously, we all know that, but every year we, we are reminded of that fact, lest we stumble into the delusion that somehow we had something to do with it. Now, I want to take us back to Rabbi Monk from yesterday, was we, where we left off talking about the Omer, because the Omer is a very significant mitzvah. It's a very significant time in which we live. And sometimes people don't realize that. Um, we, we say about Pesach and how spiritual and how wonderful uh, Passover is. I was looking for a reference, I'm sorry. I was looking for right here. I think I was trying to find something. And uh, we forget of how special and how important this mitzvah is. Because, as I said, we're talking about um, Passover. We know about the Seder. But we forget about Omer. I found my reference. Sorry. I was looking over here. I, thought, I know it's somewhere, somewhere. There we go. So Rabbi Monk is talking about the uh, Omer count. And as I left off yesterday, he's relating it back to the woman of Nidah counting for herself seven clean days. And... She does this. Remember that she does the counting of the seven clean days. Why? For what purpose? Well, uh, well, you could say it's for the purpose of filling God's will. Absolutely. But what's the ultimate purpose? The ultimate purpose is her ability to be rejoined with her husband and in uh, in intimacy and purity. So that's the purpose. So the counting of seven clean days is a countdown or perhaps a count up to a moment of intimacy, a moment of rejoining, a moment of connecting on a very, very dynamic and very very emotional, very spiritual level. So she counts seven days. But for Israel, we are so uh, mired in our impurity that we count not seven days, but seven weeks. So he concludes this, or he continues rather this thought by saying, uh, he's talking about the night of, of Shavuot, where we, we come up to the, the very brink of receiving God's Torah. Remember, the Torah is the ketubah, a Torah the Torah is God's covenant ketubah with us. The ketubah is the marriage agreement, the marriage contract that, that a husband has with his wife and vice versa. So what we're doing by counting the Omer is we are elevating day in and day out 
working our way up to a time of intimacy. Remember also that the Torah represents our ability to connect with Hashem. I think somebody mentioned it uh, in one of the comments yesterday on our on our uh, live feed here. But the word mitzvah itself means to connect to God. If you think about it, how do how do we as mortal men and mortal women in a finite reality connect with an infinite God? How do we connect with Hashem? How is it possible for us to have intimacy with the living God? How is that even possible? And the answer is in this present condition through his word, which is why Yeshua said, if you abide in me, then I will abide in you. If we connect, we can connect to, to, to God. That's how we have intimacy. This is why Yeshua said in, Ma- in uh yeah, Matthew chapter 7. He said that, listen, you know, you're, you're preaching in my name, you're teaching my name, you're, you're, you're holding great uh, conferences in my name, you're doing, you have great music. I love the laser light show. The uh, fog machines are amazing. But here's the problem. You don't know me and I don't know you. Why? Because you're workers of iniquity. And that word iniquity is anomia, which means you're devoid of the Mosaic law. There's no real relationship here. There's no real intimacy here. So the reason that we are, and you never forget this, this is so important. The reason that we were set free at Passover was not so that we could be free. It's so that we could go to the mountain and worship God. That is the reason. Free to worship God, not just to be free. The reason we're going to Shavuot, the whole reason we're headed in that direction right now. That is the reason. The reason for the season is the law. Okay? And of course, Yeshua is the law made flesh. So he is the reason for the season. The reason we're going is to receive the Torah. It says here, the night of Shavos, Shavuot, is consecrated to this holy union. So the night of Shavuot, that night that we have pri- previous to that Torah, is the, is like the night when the woman returns from the mikvah after her time of Nidah. She ter- returns from the mikvah and she joins her husband that night. That is like the night that precedes, the, that's, that's Erev Shavuot. So it says the night of Shavuot is consecrated to this holy union. It is therefore distinguished nowadays by the practice of staying up and learning the Torah throughout the night. All right? So one of the, the one of the age-old ancient customs of, of Shavuot is to stay up all night and study the Torah. Now here's the question. Why? Why is that a, a custom? This is beautiful. I'm about to read. I love Rabbi Monk's insights into this because it's so important. Because remember, Shavuot is all about the marriage. It's all about the intimacy. It's all about the union. Okay? So it says here, As for the Nidah's immersion in the water of the mikvah at the end of seven days... This is represented by the Torah in which we immerse ourselves during those wakeful hours. So in other words, what Rabbi Monk is saying is that a Nidah who's counted for her seven days 
What does she do right before, right before she joins in intimacy with her husband? She goes to the mikvah. Therefore, since we've counted seven weeks of clean days arising up from our impurity, what do we do right before we have intimacy with our proverbial husband, as it were? We immerse ourselves in the waters of Torah in order to have our spiritual mikvah. That's what Rabbi Monk is saying. The festival of Pesach was given, he says, to us as a gift of God. But once given, it is up to us to ascend the 49 rungs of the ladder, which takes us to the highest state of purity in opposition to the 49 stages of impurity we sank to while we were in Mitzrayim. As we climb each step, we remind ourselves of the stage of purity that this specific step represents. You know, salvation is a gift to be sure. But once the gift is given, what he's saying here is it's up to us to put the gift into action. Once the gift is given, it's up to us to open it and put it into action. God is saying, I gave everything to you. I gave all the tools to you. You didn't have to earn them. You didn't have to buy them. I paid for it all, but you do have to use them. We can't say, well, you know, I, I, I was just set free because God wanted to be, me to be free. And they, they really, the, that's not the truth. The fact of the matter is, we're not really free. We're not really free. You know, it's like you don't ever really own your house. Even if you pay your house off, try not paying the taxes. See how fast you don't own it. So Hashem is saying that you were once slaves to Pharaoh, which is more or less a euphemism for Hasatan, curse be he, and I've set you free. But are you just free to roam about the country? No, you can't fly southwest. You have to be my servant, right? So Rabbi Monk continues, and, and this is a, another wonderful insight here because this co- corresponds obviously to what I just said. It says, when we reach the summit, what's the summit? Shavuot. Again, the, the, the Torah is the goal. Oh my gosh, this is so good. The Torah is the goal. You know, the, uh, in one of the letters that Paul wrote, I forget which one it was, but it's, he mentions, and it's been mistranslated, that says that, that Yeshua is the end of the Torah. And so people have said, well, when Yeshua came, the Torah ended. Well, that's, that's, first of all, it's blasphemy. Second of all, it's heresy. And third, it's just absurd if you just read the Bible. But the, the, what it actually says is that Yeshua is that to which the Torah points. In other words, he's the target. He is the goal. The goal is to reach the summit. What's sad is that many people leave Egypt and instead of going up, they go down. Instead of rising up to where God wants them to be, they descend into the pit of uh, mire and clay again, adopting the customs of the world once again. This is what the Apostle Shaul was talking about when he wrote his letter to the Colossians. Many people, again, It's a gross misunderstanding, I believe, of what he was trying to say. 
He's talking to Gentiles and saying, why do you want to get wrapped up again in the ways of the world? Many people interpret that to mean the Torah, but it's ridiculous. He cannot be talking about the Torah. Why? Because look around you. Does the world keep the Torah? Obviously not. So he's talking to a bunch of Gentiles who were converts, and he's saying, why do you try to be Gentiles again? Why are you trying to go back under those old ways? So anyway, it says, when we reach the summit, we've accomplished the mitzvah of making ourselves worthy to receive the Torah once again. Now listen, he says this, we have made, I love, this is a wonderful sentence. Here it is. We have made effective use of the liberty that was given to us on Pesach. We have earned the right to receive the holy festival of Shavuot. My friends, this is why counting the Omer is, is so important. Because by counting the Omer and reflecting upon each day and its meaning, and ascending, therefore, to that Shavuot time, we are thereby making effective use of our liberty. And, and there's all kinds of examples of how we can make ineffective use of our liberty, but aspiring forward to receive God's holy Torah as the way in which we make effective use of God's holy Torah, of God, excuse me, of the, of the liberty that he's given us through Mashiach Yeshua. So that's why we carry out these preparations. That's why we count each and every day. Now, to verse 21, to chapter uh, Leviticus chapter 23, in verse 21, it says this. Let me go back here and find, there it is. It says, you shall con convoke on this very day. There shall be a holy convocation for yourselves. You shall do no labor laborious work. It is an eternal decree in your dwelling places for your generations. Now, before I read the insight to that, let me share one more thing, one other thing here about this. Now, he's, he's about to talk about the fact that this is the first time where we see an act of consecration in relationship to the Yomer, talking about the, the, the Yom Tov of Shavod. Now, in the Gutna Kumash, there's a discussion here about the sancti sanctification of time. And I'll, I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's kind of long, but I do want to highlight one specific point. But I, I've got to give you a, a little bit of a background. So there's a discussion here about the physical objects that fall upon uh, uh, fall into specific categories talks about objects would have been that have been used to perform a mitzvah they're obviously sanctified at set of time objects would have not which have not been used to perform a mitzvah those are mundane objects they have they don't have any inherent holiness but there are also objects which are ready to perform a, a mitzvah for instance if you if you came to the uh, uh, fig tree and, and and purchased a kiddush cup but you had not yet used it for kiddush it is not technically not yet holy, but it's set apart for holy use. And the moment you use it, it becomes holy. So it has a category unto itself. 
So it's saying here about um, the the it's talking about the fact that when we count the years and we we count the months and so on, that we are taking time that exists already, okay, and we're using it now for a holy purpose. All right, but it says when it comes to counting the Omer, this does not appear to exist. For in the case of the sabbatical and the jubilee years, what I was just talking about that we count, we take an entire span of time, which obviously exists because time exists because God created it, and we perform a mitzvah with it by counting it. Okay? But in the case of the Omer, if it were not for the Torah, there would be no clearly delineated span of time between Pesach and Shavuot. In other words, the Torah makes the connection between Pesach and Shavuot by giving us this 50-day time period. Outside of the Torah, that period of time doesn't exist. Okay? So it says, thus, the Omer is effectively a new unit of time which did not exist before. So we are not simply taking the previously existing measure of time and using it for a mitzvah. In other words, the period of time in which we count the Omer is a new dimension of time itself. Therefore, when you count the Omer each and every night leading up to Shavuot, you are entering into a new dimension of time and therefore a new dimension of God's appointed time, a new dimension in which God can work through you and in you and with you. So, to conclude this morning, let me just share this thought going back to verse 21 of Vayikra chapter 23. You shall convoke on this very day. This is the only allusion, Rabbi Monk says, to the Holy to the holiday character of the end of the seven-week period. The Torah does not speak of Shavuot as the festival of giving the Torah. The Torah doesn't ever say that it's the festival of giving the Torah, which has led somebody, or some people rather, to say that it's not about giving the Torah, which, and of course, they're wrong. Everybody has, from, I mean, all Jews for all time have understood that this was a festival of giving, giving the Torah. But why doesn't the Torah say so? I mean, if it is the giving of the Torah, then shouldn't we see that written down? Because after all, we can only believe something that's written down. Except for the fact that I shared on Shabbat that when Moses was telling the people about the Passover, there was nothing written down about it. And when Yeshua was teaching, nothing was written down. And in fact, his words weren't even written down until about a hundred years after he was resurrected. But I digress. It says here, to understand why, it's helpful to remember that by its very metaphysical nature, the Torah cannot be restricted by the dimensions of time and space. <laughs> wow. Why? Because time and space were created by the Torah. Yep. So it says here, just as the exact place where it was given remains shrouded in mystery, so is the date left ambiguous. The Torah resembles the soul in the human body. 
One cannot localize it precisely. This is a midrash to Psalm 103. The day on which the Torah was bequeathed to us may have been the 6th or perhaps even the 7th of Sivan. The only certitude we have about the place is that it occurred in the desert, an area that belongs to no one. Just like the Torah is everyone's possession, so is the desert. Similarly, the soul, similar, similar to the soul rather, the Torah has its own spiritual reality, requiring neither emblem or monument, nor even an anniversary of its promulgation. Why? Why? Oh, that's so good. Why do we not have a specified time in which we say, we know this is the giving of the Torah, but why is it ambiguous and it's not said, this is the giving of the Torah because the Torah has always been. It is not regulated by time and space because it created time and space. So when you say the Torah didn't come until Mount Sinai, that, my friends, is erroneous. The Torah has always existed, and as a result, it will always exist. End of our time together for the Aliyah today. We will see everybody tomorrow for Kol Hamod Pesach Day 4, right? Yeah, Day 4. And uh, it's going to be amazing. So until then, have a wonderful, blessed, amazing day. And we will see everybody tomorrow. Shalom, shalom.